The nakedness of Mike Tyson in the James Toback film, aptly titled Tyson, is extraordinary. As many have noted, you feel like you're in his head, in his consciousness and his subconscious, as he speaks about his fears, his regrets, his experiences with madness and rage, his relationships, his career, his obsessions, sexual and otherwise. There are no inhibitions, nothing is held back, nothing hidden or forced, no vindication, no escape, just Mike Tyson, sitting in a rented Hollywood mansion or walking on the beach, speaking exactly what is on his mind. James Toback has long been a renegade of the film industry. Well-respected abroad, he started making movies at 29, working with great actors. The list includes Fingers, The Pickup Artist, Harvard Man, Two Girls and a Guy, and Bugsy, amongst others. He doesn't sound like he's from Hollywood. His thinking and way of being seem almost from a different place, a different plane, as he might refer to it. That may be why, over 20 years ago, on the set of one of his earlier films, The Pickup Artist, he and Mike Tyson made a connection. They were both thinkers, both outsiders, both loners, seeking truth. And that may also be why James Toback was the only person who could have made this film. His connection to Tyson is so close, and the trust so deep, it was only through his guidance that we would see what seems to be the real Mike. The thing is that Mike Tyson has surely been demonized and deplored by the press, from his marriage to Robin Givens, where she ridiculed him on The Barbara Walters Show, to his stints in and out of jail, to his infamous fight with Evander Holyfield, where he bit off his opponent's ear. The press has shown Tyson as an animal, someone that cannot be tamed, with no morals and ethics. But of course the media, of which I myself am part of, never quite gets the full story. Tyson, the film, seems to offer the real thing, and Toback is all about what is real. At least that's what we hear in this interview I did with him when he was here in San Francisco, speaking about his film and accepting an award at the San Francisco International Film Festival. My name is Sonny Katanjan. This is Sight Unseen, a weekly program that speaks with artists of all different mediums uncovering the unseen sides of art and expression. Here, James Toback explains why he has so much love for his son. Stay tuned for that and more on this week's Sight Unseen. I was loved by everybody around me, my mother in particular, but my father, my grandfather, my grandmother. Then I've been very lucky my whole life in personal relations, um, uh, starting with my first girlfriend when I was six. And uh, I've always had reciprocity. I don't think I've ever had a strong feeling about someone that wasn't returned. It's been a kind of natural overflow of feeling, and I don't understand cold, withdrawn people. I don't understand people who are stingy with their emotions. I find them uh, almost uh, aberrational. I mean, they're numerically certainly not aberrational, but I find them aberrational in the sense that they don't have any idea of what it's like to live properly. Because you're here for a split second, and then you're gone, and the whole idea is to create and uh, connect. Otherwise, why not just pack it in on the first moment? 
It's very, very true. I totally agree with that. And when you had that first meeting with Mike Tyson, you, I'm sure you had this tendency to open someone up and invite them into into that kind of deep conversation with you. Uh, I, I, I did, in fact. Um, he was an open uh, and engaging person. I was certainly uh, unguarded, and within 30 seconds, we were kind of on a fast, deep channel of communication. Then we walked through Central Park at 5 o'clock in the morning, and uh, we got right into the subjects that fascinated and obsessed both of us, uh, sex, love, crime, boxing, race, madness, death, and um, each of us totally uninhibited in revealing our deepest his his deepest and my deepest longings and fantasies and experiences in those areas. And even though I was 20 years older than he was, uh, we felt oddly like brothers. And I knew this was, to use a phrase from another movie, the beginning of a beautiful friendship. So what were the, what were the ways that you saw yourself in him? I saw this completely uninhibited unembarrassed, uncensored, unalloyed need to express ideas, thoughts, and feelings in language that was fresh and personal. The idea of censoring uh, oneself, of being cautious or coy or hidden was absolutely beyond measure. It was, there was no way to justify it. So, we didn't, and even now, and it's true in the movie in a very obvious way, you feel that there's no line between what Tyson is thinking and what he's saying. And so you feel that way about yourself, this uninhibited, deep, profound uh, being that wants to express themselves in clear and, and, uh, and to use your word, original, I think you said original ways. Yeah, because you're, you're here, if you look at it in cosmic perspective, which I do since I'm a frustrated astrophysicist, um, <laughs> you, uh, you're here for less than a split second and then you're gone. In fact, if you look at it in cosmic perspective, the planet Earth is here for a split second and then it's gone. And um, what are you going to do in that time, in that split second, what is the point of being here at all if you're not going to seek out these moments of connection, revelation, truth, and transformation? Or as Jean-Pierre Melville says, playing a sort of guest character role in Godard's first film, Abu de Souffle, Breathless, he says, playing himself or famous directors coming off a plane and he's met by some a horde of paparazzi and interviewers and he's someone says yells out his last question what do you want to achieve and he says um devenir immortel et puis mourir to become immortal and then to die well you know that's the how do you become immortal create something larger than yourself show some love expand express and then move on and Mike has his own version of that, even if it's just in moments with people. Certainly his career as a boxer was an attempt to do that. 
And I once I got untracked, because it took me a while to do it. I was 29 before I started making movies. Once I said, this is my reason for being, finally I found it. That's why I'm on the planet. Now it's just been one after another that I write and direct until finally the moment will come for which I'm totally prepared. And I will say, I'm not arguing, I'm ready. Death is part of life. And to be fearless in the face of it is the key to unleashing all of your best energies and powers. I recently asked someone, and I wish I could remember who it was in an interview, if they truly, they, they, they were saying that they're no longer scared of death, and do they truly, I thought that they might have been saying that sort of offhandedly, and do they truly believe that? And they said, yeah, I truly believe it. It, it frees me so much to believe it. Absolutely. You have to imagine your way into your own mortality and accept it, embrace it. I was forced to do that. I flipped out an LSD when I was 19 as a sophomore at Harvard, and the self dies during the flip out. So even though I was reborn, it was with the knowledge that there was something artificial about the self to begin with, or as R.D. Lang said, sanity is a cozy lie. And um, Accepting that, I accepted death. Accepting death, it freed me for the rest of my life. Mike, I think, grew up with a sense that uh, death was right around the corner. In fact, he rather hilariously says during the movie that he can't believe he reached the age of 40. And he says 40 the way most people would say 85. And um, he's uh, sort of like a, a survivor of an earthquake surveying the rubble and saying, how am I still here? And certainly he's completely ready to die. So he had two people making this movie, author and subject, both of whom are totally ready to walk the plank at any given moment. Now, I do want to get to Tyson. I just want to ask one, one more question about you as a, as a person and involved in the industry. There's an idea that the film industry, the movie business, is, is harsh, is plastic. I mean, it, it's filled with dreamers, obviously, but I, I think there's not very much vulnerability in it. And I wonder if, do you feel as an outsider thinking the way you do? Do you feel accepted thinking the way you do? Do you even care um, whether you're an outsider or not? Um, I have a lot of friends who are central to the movie business, uh, movie-making world. Um, probably uh, most of my friends fit in that category. I myself feel outside it because um, I don't make conventional movies in any way and I'm playing a different game. Um, I don't think too much about it because we exist on parallel planes of reality. I make movies of a certain kind that I know some people love and right now Tyson's like the number one movie on Rotten Tomatoes every day. It's the best reviewed movie out there. Still, I feel at odds with the movie community as a community, as, a, as an entity making movies. It's like, okay, I can tell you the pool of actors I'd like to work with. I, would t I can say I'd like to work with this one, with that one. Maybe they all want to work with me, maybe not. I don't know. Some will, some won't. But basically, I know I'm not of them. I'm not one of them. I'm on my own. I am ultimately on a parallel plane of reality, which is fine with me. It's, uh, 
I don't think I would prefer it to be any other way because um, I feel myself to be an outsider by nature. I've always felt that way. I was when I was a kid. As and uh, by the way, Tyson too. And I think it's one of the things that drew us together is a kind of loner by nature. And I can be very gregarious and social and tell stories and stuff, but I always feel as if I'm. I'm on another plane of reality, and um, that definitely is the way I um, I view my my work as as movies that exist outside any system. You know, you you were talking about the the loss of self. I remember many years ago, six or seven years ago, I interviewed Ram Das, who is a who well he he went to Harvard and um he was with uh, uh, Timothy Leary, and when he first did LSD, he observed his all his identities fade away, his identity as a doctor, his identity as a, a, a Jewish man, his identity as a person, his body itself. And he kind of thought, well, who am I if all of this is gone? And it sounds like that's very much what happened with Tyson when he was in confinement and, and uh, lost himself. Very interesting. It is, and it's the opposite of what happened with me. Um, you're talking about Albert, um, uh, who was ironically turned on to LSD along with Leary by Max Rinkle, who saved my life. Rinkle was one of the two guys who synthesized LSD in Switzerland at Sanders Laboratories in 1938. And um, then he came to America and he experimented with it under controlled circumstances. He felt that both Leary and Albert, who were teaching at Harvard, abused it and gave it to students of theirs, which they weren't supposed to do, several of whom committed suicide. Uh, he eventually, I think, had them both kicked out. They went all the way. They went out and they stayed out and they kept going. And Mike, without taking a drug, although he did cocaine later, but when he was in solitary, snapped, clicked out. In fact, when he came out, he said, the first thought he had, he said to me was, this is what Toback was talking about when he told me about his LSD madness. So he got it on his own without that. It's it's where he lives part of the time, given that he clicked onto that other channel. I, on the other hand, went to Dr. Wrinkle after eight days of being on that channel, which I was not going to be able to survive on, and uh, got an intravenous antidote, which took seven minutes to go in my vein and put me out for 24 hours. And when I woke up, I was a version of what I'd been before, but not the same person. Let's get into the film and how just naked and and honest and unintimidated Tyson is by having to be so honest about himself. Uh, You you talked about saying that uh, it reminded you of you being in uh, psychoanalysis and Tyson himself, you placing him in that same position. Uh, Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, I, I thought rather than go through what would be a rather pedestrian question and answer um, structure, which would feel sort of like a therapist and his, uh, his patient. I ask a question, he gives an answer. I ask a question, he gives another answer. I ask a question, he gives another answer. Rather than that, disappear, I would disappear, from view behind Tyson and become, as in psychoanalysis, a voice. So that For instance, on the first day of shooting, first morning, first shot, just kind of uh, withdrew and then said, so um, 
Tell me about your earliest memories. That's it. Nothing else. And then I just let him go for 45 minutes, including long gaps of silence. But what happened was some very interesting notes popped out of nowhere because there was no repression, no blockage. In fact, as had happened with me, when I jumped out of my seat, it was um, with dumped out of off the couch with Dr. Bischofsky, followed by, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. I kept saying, I didn't mean that. And he would just shrug. And after a while, I thought, well, I guess I do mean these things. I wouldn't keep saying them. And I think Mike similarly shocked himself by a lot of the things he said. He didn't keep saying, I didn't mean that. But the fact that there were these contradictions and that he did in every instance, unblock himself completely, just made a kind of complete, open, confessional stream of consciousness um, episode. How did you present it to him when you wanted to make the film? What did he say? I mean, it's not like he's vindicating himself. Um, and I'm sure you didn't say, this is your chance. No, not at all, not at all. I, it was after we did shot black and white, and that day we finished shooting and I said, you know, I could expand you as you're in this movie into a whole portrait, cinematic portrait. And he said, anything you want to do, I'm ready, whenever you want to do it. And I kept that in mind and several years went by that then finally we reached a point in 2007, I thought if we're going to do it, we got to do it now. He had just been arrested and put in rehab and my mother had died, which completely took me into another universe, and I just thought, if we don't do it now, this is it. And I, I found out I could probably do it for two million or at least get to a certain point, which I did. Was that, took it to can, and then shepherded it through. Finally, Sony Classics picked it up, and now we're opening everywhere on May 8th. But it, it, uh, it was all sort of shepherded into being by this um, huge desire on my part to make something that was original and strange and new and um, on Mike's part to uh, embrace the void, come out of the closet um, and reveal himself. Well, the production of it, I remember when I first saw it at the screening here, um, you know, it's it's minimal. You know, it's just it's it's totally minimal, and it's it's there. It's I wouldn't call it playful, but it's it's definitely not Hollywood in any way. No, I mean we although we shot it in Hollywood, we rented a large house, and I shot him in the house for three days, in the ocean for two days, and basically used split screens, multiple images, moving boxes, to give a highly stylized feel to what in effect is a penetrating, riveting portrait of this uh, wild, wild guy. And this character that has been portrayed in so many different ways, and uh, so it's, he's very hard to dismantle unless you actually see the film. Um, what are people saying about it? I, what, well, well um, you know, the, the reviews have been insane. It's like Shrek. You know, I expected it to be highly mixed, and we've been like the number one on Rotten Tomatoes week, uh, you know, by a long shot each day. And um, people have been very powerfully moved by it, in particular women who resisted coming. The number of women who have said, I'm not going near 
that movie or that guy, when they do go in, for whatever reason, they're in tears at the end or they're deeply shaken by it. And I, I think um, the greatest thing about the response has been people seem mesmerized. There is no motion whatsoever. People are sitting there transfixed. Then it ends and there's applause and uh, it's a serious emotional experience, I think, particularly for the people who come with no idea what the movies are going to be and no expectation. When you think of Tyson, is he a really close friend? Is he a confidant? Is he someone that you feel really understands you? How, how, how would you describe, is he a, a character would, for you? Well, he's all those things in a way. Uh, you know, we've had these very strange and intense midnight, two, three, four a.m. conversations over the years. I think we understand each other extremely well. Um, it was not my intention to give him openings for self-justification. Um, I didn't want to just say, okay, it's been great. Now, let's just justify Mike's existence. The idea uh, was to record a fascinating hypnotic individual. I, from the first night I met him when he was 19, walking through Central Park for two hours at night, found his voice, the incongruity of that voice in that body, quite mesmerizing. And I thought as long as I could steer him into some interesting subjects, he might come up with some astonishing uh, responses. You, you know, I, I felt it was a natural continuum from our friendship. Intimacy in life, breeding intimacy in film, showing the world a character with whom they're fast, by whom they're fascinated in all of his raw truth in a highly stylized movie. That was the evolution, that was the documentation. I mean, I just felt, look, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for both of us. How many times can you really get out there and be known? You're lucky if you can do that with your friends and your family on occasion. And you say, wow, that was a great moment I had with this friend or my brother or my mother. We really understood each other. Finally, you know, we had a breakthrough. I wish we could preserve that in some way. Here was a chance to actually let Mike Tyson have that impact on everybody permanently in time and space. That's a kind of exhilarating task and one that I think both of us felt was worth doing um, and entirely, uh, entirely without drawback. Usually you make decisions in life and Jesuitically you can make a case against the decision you just made. And here I think this decision was just perfect for both of us. Would you want the same to be done with you, like well, toeback? There was a documentary made about me called The Outsider by Nick Jarecki, which I think is quite good. It is, however, not quite the same kind of documentary. It sort of documents the making of When Will I Be Loved. And while I certainly tell the truth, and there are some very interesting things in the, in the documentary, it is not um, a packaged movie the way this is packaged in the sense of here is who this person is, period. And you're going to want to have this. It's like... This is an epitaph in an odd way. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, a legacy. 
And um, I think, you know, as Mike Tyson left his championships behind when he left boxing, this is leaving himself behind. So when he dies, this will be who Mike Tyson was. And what will, what will be your, yours? Mine will be, um, I, that, that kind of movie is, if it's going to be made about me, honestly, I think it'll be made by me. Um, except all my work is, is work that amounts to that. My real cinematic autobiography is the actual movies that I've made. I might, just before I pack it in and move to the next plateau, which is how I'm planning to end life when the time is right, do a special DVD with some serious surprises where I get a trusted filmmaker to shoot me for a couple of days, bring him or her into the process in a way that totally spooks people and gets them crazy, and then move on to the next plateau. In other words, uh, again, devenir immortel et primaire, become even more immortal and then die. But for that, you have to kind of choose to take your own life, which is a pretty bold notion, but one that I think and I hope um, would only be done under the best and right circumstances when the time is absolutely right. Well, let's, let's just come full circle to the start of this talk, which is your son. How do you, how do you see yourself in him? He's uh, mischievous and uh, articulate to the point of wizardry, very good pianist, terrific athlete, uh, willful, unmanageable, manipulative, um, and um, irresistible. So I don't know whether I'm all those things, but I certainly feel this great connection with him. And a couple of years ago when he was seven, out of the blue, he looked at me one day, looked right in my eyes, and he said, I know you. And I was kind of startled and said, somewhat lamely, I think, and I know you too. And he didn't miss a beat and said, not as well as I know you. So I thought, I'm in trouble. And so is he. Does anyone know you the way he does? Uh, on a certain level, no. Uh, I think that, um, that he has picked up stuff that no one else knows, and there are moments when we look in each other's eyes where I just feel Baudelaire's great phrase in his poetry, hypocrite lecteur, mon semblable, mon frère, and I feel that kind of strange communion with him. <laughs> it's spooky. And on an odd, odd way, I feel as a terrific mutual understanding with Tyson because of these conversations. I know both of us say things to the other that neither of us would say to anybody else, except Mike now has said them in a movie. He's now saying them to everybody else, except he only said them because he was staring into space with my voice over his shoulder, from behind his shoulder. But, but we've had these conversations that I think triggered the movie in some way that are really voices from outer space. Those were the words of filmmaker James Toback speaking about his film Tyson. To learn more about the film, please visit sonyclassics.com. My name is Sonny Gatengen. This is Sight Unseen, shedding light on the creative world through candid conversations with the artists of our time. To hear this or other interviews from Sight Unseen, please visit radiotania.org. You're listening to Resonance 104.4 FM, the UK's first radio art station.